thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, it is the fight we have all been waiting for, Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje, UFC 254. We will, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we also give you an underdog and a parlay we think will be profitable for you this week. Plus, as always, I'm bringing you the interviews that you want to hear, three of the fighters on the fight card. First, we're talking with Casey Kenny as he gets ready for one of the quickest turnarounds in his life. He fought earlier this month, now he's fighting Nathaniel Wood, and he's talking about what that layover feels like. Then we'll be talking to Miranda Maverick, who had to wait quite a while to finally make her UFC debut. She talks about that, her grappling, and the guidance she's gotten from her father leading into this in all of her fights. Plus then, we're talking to Jacob Malkin, who is friend and training partner of Robert Whitaker, making his debut in just his fifth pro fight. Really interesting conversation there. Make sure you check out all three of those, and you can get to that great content right now. Alright, and joining me today is Casey Kenny, who fights Nathaniel Wood at UFC 254. So Casey, before we get started talking about that fight, I gotta talk about the end of your last fight. You jump into the stands, you get in seemingly somebody's face. We couldn't really see from the camera angles. First of all, was that pre-planned? And second of all, who specifically were you yelling at? Uh, yeah, it was pre-planned, you know, I said all, I was hoping to put him away a little earlier, uh, but, and do that, but, uh, I was just yelling at anybody, well, I, there, that's where Mick's at, uh, Mick Maynard, um, I think Dana and Sean Shelby were not in attendance, but I was kind of hoping the, those guys would be there as well, so Mick kind of took the wrath of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, I was just, uh, excited, you know, excitement, you know, I, I've been talking about fighting with a quick turnaround, and, uh, you know, I got my 10 day notice fight, but, you know, there was still four or five months in between, you know, my next fights and, uh, you know, I wanted a quick turnaround. So I figured I needed to say it a little bit louder. And that was me jumping out of the cage. Uh, I was hoping Dana and Sean were going to be there too, but, uh, you know, Mick was sitting there and, uh, once I got back in the cage, you know, I looked at him, I was like, I say that with all due respect because <laughs> I kind of yelled at you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good, man. It's good stuff. I, I like that. And, and now I know Dana is obviously a guy who shows a little bit more emotion than Mick does. But but did you get a reaction out of Mick? Was was Mick, you know, like, did he look scared? Did he look excited? Was he jacked up? Yeah, you know, he had his mask on, but uh, he was laughing. You know, he was laughing. He, he looked like, uh, you know, he wasn't minding it too much. And, and you have a little bit of a relationship with Mick, too, back from LFA days. Is that uh, no, actually, I think Mick had transferred over by the time, but, you know, I'd seen him en- around enough that, uh, you know, I've said hi to him and, you know, everything through the UFC bouts, but I think Mick was already over with the UFC once I, uh, started my LFA run. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so let's talk about this turnaround then. It, it's going to be 21 days in between fights. Uh, I'm assuming you're very excited about that based on the reaction, but now, now I have questions about this logistically, like. Did, did you go home? I, I mean, I'm assuming you're back home now at training camp. Yeah, uh, I had to get out of the island. You know, the, the little safe zone stuff was great, but uh, I was ready to get back home and do uh, a little mini camp before I head out and do it again. 
and was was that stressful too being that you had to like get on a plane fly back home and, and did you know that like you were turning back around to get back on a plane in in a couple of weeks yeah i knew i was fighting Nathaniel wood before i left the island which we left eight hours after the fight so i knew pretty uh pretty soon they asked me if i wanted to stay but i just didn't want to do another 20 days there uh you know, so I, I knew I was coming back to turn around and, you know, go back and uh, basically I would have 10 days at home. So I took a couple of days in Vegas, enjoyed myself, went to the PI and then, uh, you know, uh, here I am back in Phoenix. Uh, I've been back training all week, well, weekend, really. Well, and, and, and you know, you mentioned your, your training camp. Obviously, you, you love your gym and you love your, your training partners and whatnot. But was there another facet for why you wanted to get off of Fight Island or had to get off of Fight Island? Because you, you make it sound like. You know, like sometimes on TV they make it sound like it's like the greatest place on earth, but you make it sound like obviously not like your favorite place. Uh, you know, I, I like Fight Island, but like any vacation spots, uh, you know, they're good to visit, and then you need to go back home. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with Fight Island. You know, I got I got no complaints uh, for what they got over there, but uh, you know, just with the with the times, if I could have stayed and explored, you know, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Uh, that may have enticed me to stay, but, uh, you know, we're, we're bound to our safe zone. So, uh, and I'm an adventurer and, uh, with, with, uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi being so close, I, I'd probably want to escape. <laughs> All right. Well, you certainly can't do that, especially with this fight coming up. No, right. Exactly. So I figured I'd go home and, you know, behave myself for a little while and then, uh, you know, just do that whole 10 day, 12 day trip again. Wow. So, so let's talk about the fight, too, because, you know, a lot of times the guys ask for these these quick turnaround fights. They get the quick turnaround fights, but it's usually like a step back in competition or it's just anybody who would take the fight. This seems like a step up. You're getting Nathaniel Wood, a guy who was in the rankings recently, you know, a, a guy who, you know, a lot more people know than Haile Alatang. He's possibly a lot more dangerous than Haile Alatang. How, how pumped were you that they found you somebody like him right away? Uh, I mean, that's great, you know. Uh, as far as our UFC careers, we match up uh, pretty well. We're both four and one. You know, we both broke the top 15. So uh, I'm on a two-fight win streak, two uh, two really good performances as well. And uh, you know, I feel like I I have a little more clout than I think even he does. You know, um, as far as like the, my last two performances versus his last two performances. Um, so. Uh, you know, he should be he should be happy to be fighting a guy like me. And on the flip side, you know, I'm also happy to be fighting a guy like him as well. You know, uh, he's big in England and, uh, you know, just like you said, a step up in competition. And you mentioned, too, that this came together very fast. You knew even before leaving the island. How did it surface with his name and contracts being passed out and you knowing that this is like a done deal? How did that all transpire so quickly? Oh, uh, man, I got a text from my manager and just he asked me if I wanted to fight uh, Nathaniel Wood. So on that date, I was like, let's do it. Uh, you know, I'm always game. Uh, I said next weekend, but, uh, you know, a couple <laughs> weekends from now, I'll be all right. That that definitely would have would have warranted staying on Fight Island if you were going to do it in a weekend. Um, yeah, if I would have done it the following weekend, you know, we would have stayed and, and done all that. But, uh, you know, with that little bit of a break in between, I think that was uh, almost perfect. For sure, for sure. Now, I do like to ask, and I know you're a guy who's been looking for finishes out there. I like to ask if you can give me a prediction. How do you see this fight going? The guy who's got, like, a good grappling background and, and probably, 
you know, won't be afraid to grapple you. Is, is this a guy you feel like you can put away on the ground? And is that what we're looking for? Oh man, I think I, I can put him away about anywhere. You know, I didn't uh, showcase much of my grappling uh, in the last one, but I think I, I turned some heads with uh, how polished my striking is, you know, is as well. And uh, in the last two fights, you know, I've, I've been touching people and, I feel like Al Tang should have went away. So uh, if I touch Nathaniel Wood like that too, I, I, I suspect him to go away. But I think we're going to see a little bit more of a, a MMA match in this one. You know, not so uh, one-sided and uh, striking affair. You know, it's going to be a little bit of everything. So um, I'm, I'm excited to just showcase what what I got. You know, on both the striking and the grappling world. But I think I put him away some way somehow. Well, we're looking forward to that. Now, I did want to ask you, too, before I let you go here, you mentioned you thought Haile Alatang should have went away. We all saw the pictures of his ribcage looking like, you know, raw Hamburg. Like, first of all, was that a kick that you had seen being an opening, or was it one that you found in the fight? And, and how surprised were you that he kept taking it? Yeah, you know, that was the game plan. Um, I saw a couple things in the Benoit fight that, you know, he didn't respond very well to the left kick and especially the left hand. Uh, you know, me being Southpaw, those are some uh, bread and butters of mine. And, uh, you know, he ate both of them. Um, honestly, I'm surprised he ate the left hands more than he ate. Well, I was surprised about the body shots, too. But there was a, there was a lot of left hands in there that, uh, I mean, most people, if I hit like that, they, they go down, they get rocked. And uh, he took it. So uh, props to him. Well, we're looking forward to seeing whether or not Nathaniel Wood can take those very same shots. Once again, fans, this was Casey Kenny. He fights Nathaniel Wood at UFC 254. Casey, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, uh, always a pleasure, man. Thank you for your time as well. And that interview with Casey Kenny is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter because they represent over 35 martial arts in their system. And from there, you can log all of your training sessions, tag different techniques that you've been working on, plus you can log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more to keep you on track to make those goals in whatever martial art you train. Once again, that's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. And joining me today is Miranda Maverick, who fights Leanna Jojua at UFC 254 on Fight Island. So, Miranda, I, I want to go back to what should have been your debut all the way back in June. Obviously, you're, you're heading into that fight. You get pulled out after getting some, some weird medical uh, feedback. How, how hard was that for you mentally to turn the corner after that? Um, it was pretty difficult for the first couple weeks because I wasn't sure about recovery time or if recovery was an option at all um and then after that of course it was pretty frustrating to even watch fights for a couple months but once I got back to training and once I got back to knowing I would be able to fight again made it a lot easier and just helped my motivation and, and just out of curiosity you said you know it was it was difficult until you could get back to training how, how long was that how long did it take you to get back into the gym about two and a half months um, so it was actually a faster recovery than was at first anticipated. So it turned out uh, working out well. Well, that's that's certainly good to hear. Now, also you said in there too that there was some doubt maybe that, that you would even be able to come back. How, how long did you have to deal with sort of that question of, 
of whether or not you would you would be able to continue the profession that you love? About two weeks um, until we finally found someone that had a little bit different insight and different viewpoint on the issue, and they were able to find the correct remedies to make up for it. Wow, that sounds that sounds like quite a stressful two weeks. Um, let, let's shift gears here and let's talk a little bit about this upcoming fight because I think it's a fun one. Not only is it you getting to travel all the way to fight Iowan for this fight, but you're also fighting somebody who's got a fairly interesting grappling game. Liana Jojua had a fun submission her last time out. She showed that she's got some grappling chops. How, how do you think her grappling plays against somebody who's got, you know, like suffocating top game and, and tough wrestling like you? Yeah, I think my grappling is comparable, if not better than hers. Everybody talks about her grappling, and I've seen articles that call her a submission specialist and all this other stuff. But in my opinion, my grappling is actually better than hers, so she's going to face a lot different problem than she has in the past. Um, I've heard rumor that she wants to keep this fight standing because she is worried about my ground game, and I don't blame her. Um, But my stand-up is also ready for her. That's interesting, too. And, and do you feel like that that's sort of the avenue that you hear from a lot of the, the people you're about to fight, that they have no interest in being on the ground with you? Absolutely. Most girls, are, are that's exactly what they say. But the problem is when you just try to stand striking, you have to worry about those takedowns the whole time, which makes you vulnerable in the striking as well. For sure, for sure. Now, I, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, the flyweight division – the newest of the women's divisions. I mean, unless you count featherweight, which doesn't really have that many people in it right now. But the the flyweight division has sort of been developing. We've got people coming up into the division, people coming down into the division. And it's sort of a mixed match of, of people. What do you think about where you fit into that division, being that you've already fought so many high-level competition, such high-level competition in Invicta, and you have this like sort of unique skill set in, in your wrestling that not a lot of women in that division have? I think it's perfect for climbing the ladder fast. Um, I'm one of the youngest in the division as well, and that helps um, at the end of the day. Um, But it's also just nice to know that my skill set is basically rare within the women's division, like with the grappling background and wrestling background and having strength on a lot of those girls. So it's going to be beneficial for me in every aspect. And, And you mentioned the youth in there too. It's worth mentioning, you know, being as young as you are, you know, a lot of people feel like they want to rush up and try to be a champion as young and as quickly as possible. And some people are, are more about the slow approach. I mean, you've already had a pretty extensive career. It's not like you're new to the sport, but at a young age, do you feel like you should, you're trying to take the slow route and sort of get there slowly? Or do you feel like you can rush up this division right away and make noise? I definitely want to rush up the division and make noise as fast as possible, just like I have with the rest of my career. I've had several setbacks from injuries and things, but I feel like I've made it quite a ways for being in this from the age of 18 and moving up to where I have. I wish it would have been about a year ago when I got called up to the UFC, but I'm here now and I'm ready to make a wave as quickly as I can. And, and you, yeah, you mentioned being 18 when you started out in the sport, which is so young. And obviously I know you have some wrestling background too, but What drew you to doing MMA at that age? Um, I honestly just started with self-defense and started with jiu-jitsu, like when I was almost 17 years old. Um, I had watched MMA, though, since I was pretty young, and my dad had told me when I was like 14 years old, I watched my first ever women's MMA fight, and he was like, you can be champion of the world. And at the time, I was like, no, I don't want punched in the face. But then as time (laughs) went on, I kind of saw how I 
stood against other females, like strength-wise and in jiu-jitsu competitions, and I decided I would give it a go because I thought I had good potential within the sport. Well, you certainly have proved that you do, but now I'm curious. You said you started jiu-jitsu at 17 and as sort of like a defense thing. You fought a Correct. year later. We started, but I did have a little bit of self-defense training from at home. My dad would wrestle around with us and teach us jiu-jitsu from what we would watch on TV, and I actually knew some of the basics before I ever went to an official gym and trained, but I grew a passion for it within like a couple weeks of starting at a gym. And, and, and so you were only in a gym training for a year. Now, granted, I, I'm sure your, your dad probably helped out a little bit with that, but you're only in a gym for a year and you jump into a cage for your first fight. H how quickly and how, how fast did that develop? So what's really interesting is I trained striking for about three weeks before I jumped oh my. into my first fight. <laughs> and um, I kind of just was a natural to it. I didn't punch, you know, stupid. I knew I knew what I was doing, but I didn't have any actual training in it. And uh, just went into the fight, basically didn't punch or kick much at all. It was pretty much a blacked out fight. I don't even remember it. I had to rewatch it to know what happened. And I won within about a minute and a half or maybe it was two and a half minutes. I can't remember which. But I won, and I liked the feeling of it, and I told myself if both of those things happened, then I was going to make it as far as I could in the sport. In, in, in your amateur career, too, you, you fought like six or seven times in that first year, right? Like, you had an incredible run at amateur. How long of that was with that same mentality, where I'm like going to throw like a couple of kicks, maybe one or two punches, and just use what I know? I mean, I absolutely tried to learn striking better and better between each and every fight, just like I do now. I try to be evolutionary. I try to learn new things, and I think that's where I benefit a lot is that fight IQ that improves in between every fight. But at the time in my amateur career, I had eight fights within a year, and you can kind of see my development over time uh, throughout that year. And I remember there was one amateur fight that I fought only stand-up because my coaches threatened to take me out of MMA and make <laughs> me just do kickboxing for a year, and I didn't want to. Um, so that's like an amusing side story is I finally like forced myself to lean more upon my striking. It's not that I can't do it or am bad at it necessarily. I just knew that my grappling was so much better and I wanted to finish the fights fast that that's what I went to. That that's a wild story and I love it. But out of curiosity, how did that fight wind up going? Um, I won. It was a decision. I did not win the fight in terms of submission or finish, which was the first fight I had not finished. But I won and I ended up winning a championship belt along with that fight. Oh, so it definitely was worth it then. He, they, uh, they definitely made the right choice then to stand up. Yeah, I remember I started to go for a takedown, and all I heard was my dad screaming, "No!" <laughs> <laughs> so, so your dad was one of the ones in on this as well. He was one of the ones who wanted you. Yeah, to just he knew strike. the whole story, and he kind of thought they were right. You know that I needed to lean more on my striking. So he was, he was all for it. He knew that my striking was good too, and just needed me to be confident in it. That's awesome. And it sounds like he's been kind of a huge mentor in your life as far as your martial arts career goes. What What is his background in martial arts? Has he been training or fighting ever at any point in his life? Um, actually, no. Just watched and uh, learned as he raised us kids and wanted me to have self-defense. I was his first kid growing up and his first daughter, therefore, and he wanted me to know self-defense. So he started learning himself. To the point, if he comes to the gym with me, he pretty much knows as much as an average coach, not a great coach. Like, he doesn't know the specific techniques of jiu-jitsu, but 
he can do an arm bar. He can take your back and choke you, like all the things that I would say he's equivalent in knowledge-wise as a early purple belt within jiu-jitsu. And striking-wise, not as much experience, but he knows me, and that's uh, the best aspect. He he handles my mental more than my physical training now. Well, I love that. That's an awesome story. Now, I do have to wrap up with the question. Some fighters hate this. Some fighters love it. But I always ask it as we end here. How, how do you see this fight ending when you fight Liana Jojua at UFC 254? Uh, any way I want it to end, to be honest. But I wouldn't doubt if there ends up being a finish on the ground in the first round. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Miranda Maverick, who fights Liana Jojua at UFC 254. Miranda, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And that interview with Miranda Maverick is brought to you by ProPace Sports Metrics. You can follow ProPace at ProPace app on Twitter. It's from the creators of the Grapple app, Jiu-Jitsu game. SportsPace Metrics is a new Android app designed to measure and drive the performance of your athletic work. That's right. Combat sports is going to be absolutely revolutionized by the ProPace Sports Metrics app. Because it features a striking clinic that uses your phone's microphone to detect your kicks and punches, which dries up your work rate by giving you little beeps every time you're supposed to do your next strike. It's awesome because what it does is it takes off points for your late strikes and that at the end of every single round is going to give you a new score and that makes you have goals to work towards. So now if you're hitting that heavy bag in your gym, you don't just have to do it blindly. Instead, you can use ProPay Sports Metrics to drive up that rate. And if that rate is way too fast for you, or maybe even way too slow, heck, you could be a pro. There's difficulty levels that give you shorter or longer intervals in between your strikes. And that allows you to work towards your specific goals. And in addition to all of that awesome stuff, they give you graphs of your percentage scores, a whole power profile, gives you stuff for your hand speed, all kinds of fun analysis. And you can even share all of that analysis and stuff on Twitter and challenge your friends to beat your scores. So check out ProPace Sports Metrics in the Android store and make sure to follow ProPace app on Twitter. And joining me now is Jacob Melkin who fights Phil Haas at UFC 254. So Jacob, I wanted to start by talking about the fact that you're getting to make this UFC debut with one of your teammates, Robert Whitaker, up at the top of the card. How special is it for you to be able to make your debut with him alongside of you? Yeah, man, it's it's very good eh? because we've, he's always been at the top, you know, and we've been always working with him. So, so it's very like it's kind of it's kind of surreal that I'm on the same card as him now. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, he's been at the very top of the game for so long. And you, you are only at four pro fights. You're, you're one of the guys who've probably got the least amount of pro fights in the UFC in general. Were you a little surprised when the UFC called you, being that you are kind of earlier in your pro career? Yeah, I'm pretty early in my pro career, but it was it was just hard in, in this country to get fights. Eh? Like I was trying to like it wasn't. It's not like I um, like I just turned pro and then I and then I just fought for them and got in. You know, like. I, we had a lot of pullouts, cards got cancelled. So it is it is like for people on the outside, but obviously the UFC knows I'm not I'm not some some fake fighter, you know, like I'm ready to fight. Absolutely. And and I know too you've got experience in, in other disciplines too, because I saw 
you qualified for Abu Dhabi's out of the Asian region by winning a qualifier. What what was it that kept you out of the World Championships in that? Was was there travel involved? Was there an injury? Uh, no, because we had a, a fight book two days the next after the the ADCC, and because we, it was so hard to find fights, we just got we had to take the fights, you know, because MMA is my thing. It's not it's not grappling. So so you just did an Abu Dhabi trial being a guy who who doesn't really think of grappling as his thing and, and qualified for the biggest tournament in the world. Yeah, we, like, man, we grapple every day. Like we we work hard on our grappling. We're not like it's not like I just I do MMA. Then I, I I call myself a grappler, but but I'm not gonna I can't put grap the grappling stuff in front of my MMA career, you know. Anyway, that, that's what the coach. That's what the coaches. That's the coaches' prayer. I just listen to what they say, you know. That that makes sense to me, but it's just wild as somebody who follows grappling to know that. And you're a purple belt too, correct? Yeah, I'm a purple belt. So you're a purple belt, and you qualify for the biggest tournament in the world. Have to turn it down for the fight. Now that's not one of the fights that got canceled, correct? Nah, I didn't get canceled. Last <laughs> but. Anyways, man, I think my first match would have been Gordon Ryan's. I was probably lucky anyway. You you were scheduled to fight Gordon Ryan? Do you do you know that to be true? No, I don't think that it wasn't like a hundred percent, but because I think the Asia ranking is like the lowest one and Gordon Ryan was the highest rank, so I think most likely that would have gave me him first. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I would say that maybe you made the right choice and you went with the fight. So one hundred percent. So uh, now, now I got to ask too, because you know you you said you're a little bit more of a grappler, and obviously you've got grappling chops. You know, being an Abu Dhabi qualifier, can can you give us a, a scouting report? What what should we expect to see from your MMA style grappling? Yeah, um, my MMA style grappling is like better than my actual jiu-jitsu kind of grappling, if that makes sense. Like I put it together better in MMA, but I I, I, I still train in the gi, I coach in the gi, like. It's not like something I don't like to do. I actually like the gear kind of more than no gear. Just be more fun. But um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not just a grappler. I've had three pro boxing fights as well. Three wins. So, um, so I'm pretty well rounded fight. Like I'm pretty even in all of them. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. Now I'm. I'm curious too. You know, you said you've had some boxing fights. You Abu Dhabi qualifier. Are, are those still pursuits that you want to sort of chase after while you're in MMA too? Or are, are those things kind of just what was keeping you busy because, you you know, you weren't getting the fights? No, it, it was like the coaches to get me experience because obviously in this sport, experience is very important. And I don't really have that much in MMA, you know, so I had to get experience. It's not the same, but still experience. I needed, and still now, I still need to keep building experience anyway. But, um, yeah, like the, the I would like to ha- keep having some boxing fights. I'd like to one day go to the to uh, compete in the world in jiu-jitsu, see how I go. Like, but just got to keep improving, getting better, and hopefully it all comes together. You know, you just got to believe in the system. Well, it's certainly all coming together because you you're now fighting on Fight Island on a huge pay-per-view card, UFC 254. I want to ask you a little bit about your opponent. They they offered you Phil Hawes, who is obviously, you know, like a very physically dominating person. He, he's huge for the weight class. He's been on Contender Series a couple of times. 
Had you heard the name before they offered him to you, and, and what was sort of your original thought? No, I never heard them. I've never heard of him, but um, when I searched him up a little bit, I saw like he's been on the Ultimate Fighter and he's training big camps. Contender, he's, he's obviously had a few chances. He didn't get through, but man, it's a hard sport as well, you know. But he he got through now. He's got the experience, and he's not going to let this chance go either. So I've got to be ready for anything. Absolutely. Now, I did want to ask you an extra question here because, you know, I'm a guy who really enjoys a good story about a nickname and, and where fight nicknames come from. I know they call you Mamba. Is there a, a story behind where that nickname comes from? I'd like to have, like, some some good story about how like, I got some snake squeeze or something, but it's <laughs> not that. It's just I was playing, like, you know, you know Kobe Bryant? It's, it's not even like um, watching him. It was like playing NBA 2K. I'd play, play with him and I'd scream the mamba. And I just went around calling myself the mamba for a bit and it just stuck. <laughs> so so it started while you were playing video games and, and it just <laughs> carried over to the jiu-jitsu gym? Yeah, I'd, I'd be versing my cousin or my mate. And I'd be like, hey, mamba mentality, mamba mentality. And fucking it just stuck with me. <laughs> Well, I, I love that bad nickname story. That That's not a bad nickname story. That's a great nickname story. So, before but I, do, the... I love Kobe Bryant, man. Like, I, after, I always, always watch his, I've always watched his interviews and his mentality, how he works, how he outworks people. It's not even, like, just, just the way it was, it's not even him being better than people, just how mentally, like, like his psychology in the sport, you know? I like that, and, and it seems, too, like th- that that fits with you. You know, just in talking with you and talking about the way that you approach, you know, jiu-jitsu tournaments and doing boxing and getting the work in, that, do you do a lot of mental training? No, nah, it's, it's not mental training, but, like, I just, it's just a voice in my head because I'm not, I'm not, like, the most physically gifted person, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm not some, I'm not, like, Phil Hawes, physically gifted kind of that way, if that makes sense, but I've got something in me, you know? I got something mental, something that makes me good at fighting, makes me good at this sport. It's not all about physical. Fighting's not just physical, you know. If that makes sense, it's a lot of mental to go into it. You got to believe in yourself. You got to work hard, and you got to you want to beat the guy you're fighting. You know, it's fifty-fifty, and you have to have that little bit extra to beat the person. I I love that. I love that a lot. So. Before I let you go here, too, I did want to get a prediction from you. Can you tell me how you think this fight's going to go down when you uh, you square off at UFC 254? I think this fight's going to be my hardest test today, obviously. But I think I just got to weather the storm. It's going to be a hard. I think early on it's going to be very hard. But I think I'm going to come, come out with a victory. But honestly, I'm ready for it to be a decision. I'm ready for a finish. I'm ready... To be hurt and come back, I'm I'm just ready for anything. I want to. I need to come back with the win, just so I can, so I come home happy. I got this two week quarantine to be here to. I got to I got to win. Come come back to the quarantine and eat and be happy. Well, we're looking forward to that fight, and we're we're looking forward to you getting a chance to eat and be out of that quarantine. Once again, fans, this is Jacob Malkin who fights Philip Haas at UFC 254. Jacob, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Daniel. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Jacob Melkin and the one before with Miranda Maverick and Casey Kenny. 
I, of course, am Daniel Gumby-Freeland, and I am now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I mean, like, we, we could talk about stuff in the past, we could talk about stuff in the future, but the bottom line is, this is a huge fight. We're talking about Herbib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje. In terms of fights you've been hyped for in your whole life, where does this one fall? Gumby, I am so hyped for this fight. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being CM Punk versus Michael Jackson, and 10 being the first John Jones versus DC, I'm like an 11. Uh, Khabib is just one of those special fighters where no one has figured him out. Uh, he's never even lost a round. So anytime I can conceivably convince myself that someone may be able to figure him out, it just becomes that that exciting you know the most exciting fight of the year territory and i feel like if you've listened to the show ever before you know we are massive khabib and tony fans going back years that was the fight we always wanted they tried to put it together five six times it was cursed never going to happen this justin poses and we'll obviously get into it when we do the fight breakdown Justin poses a couple of threats to Khabib, and this sort of becomes my, I'm never getting Tony versus Khabib, but this will be about as close as I get to it. Yeah, and and again, we should probably save this for the actual breakdown, but the thing that's interesting to me is everybody's interest in Tony as a a competitor for Khabib was always that he has the sub skills, right? And he can sub people off his back or on sprawls, you know, we obviously saw him get taken down by Kevin Lee, and then we saw him sub Kevin Lee off of his back. I don't think anybody deep down thought he was going to sub Habib off of his back. I mean, maybe you liked the sprawl, maybe you liked the Darius, maybe you liked his opportunity to maybe even just stay on his feet and cut him open with some elbows. But I think this one is a lot more intriguing for that reason, is that like we, we, we aren't worried necessarily about Gaethje laying on his back or like his path to victory doesn't include him possibly laying on his back against one of the most devastating top games in the history of MMA. Instead, it it involves avoiding that portion of the game altogether, which I I actually find more intriguing about this matchup too. So I I agree with you. I was all about Tony and Habib, but for me, this one out hypes it. I don't know if I'm the most hyped for it as I've been for any fight ever. There's still, like, a couple more that, like, kind of resonated with me. Especially because, like, I was a younger MMA fan. I hadn't been covering this sport. Like, like Brock Lesnar versus Randy Couture sticks out. Like, when that was happening, I, like, dropped everything I was doing to read everything about it nonstop for a week. And then stayed up and watched it. So, uh, I think this could, this is up there, but I'm not sure how high up there. Well, you know, I will say that Justin, I think most MMA fans have been woke to him uh, for the past several years, but he, you know, he he started his UFC career and the book on him was, Oh, he's too wild. He'll never be at the top of the division. Uh, He's just too wild. He's that exciting fighter. He's the fight of the night, but he's not the champion of the year. And he working with Trevor Whitman. I think we've all seen now he's made some adjustments. It's not so much that he's wild. He is just a go forward Frankenstein machine and you know again we'll we'll talk about it we keep teasing it uh we'll get to the breakdown in a minute but the point being it hasn't been built up the way Tony and Khabib was so perfect was they had both been in the UFC for about the same amount of time we had seen each of them go through double digit fights and now they're finally coming together 
Whereas with Justin Gaethje, you know, his UFC career is not long. Uh, he's had some tremendous fights and great performances, but it's, it's a burst, you know, it's a, it's a fast shooting star. Um, and I think that maybe is what takes away a little bit from it. If we were comparing it, I guess, back to Tony versus could but that all being said, I know what you're saying. Uh, some of those like late two thousands fights, especially cause pay-per-views were so far few and far between back then too. There weren't as many as there are today. Um, and there certainly weren't as many cards in the span of a year as there are today. So a lot of these things just kind of come and go, but that being said, this is my fight of the year. Gumby, we've gotten so close to doing it. Let's just break it down. What do you say? Does anyone sponsor this segment of fight? Dogs and Parlays for Khabib versus Justin Gaethje. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. When you are logging your training sessions and you want to make sure that you are reaching those goals, make sure you log those training sessions on Maroon Social. You can also log your competitions, check your weigh-ins, and all kinds of other cool features on that social media app. Once again, that's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. All right. We've talked a little bit about it. Now we'll get fully into it. It's Justin Gaethje versus Khabib Nurmagomedov in the main event. It's for the 155-pound title. Khabib is coming off, uh, well, a million dominant performances in a row. But if you want to get technical about it, he beat Dustin Poirier uh, back in the same Abu Dhabi uh, one year ago, September 2019, with a rear naked choke in the third round. Beat some guy, I don't know who this is, Connor McGregor uh, with a neck crank submission. That was two years ago in October of 2018 and beat Ali Aquinta via unanimous decision before that. A lot of people always point to the fourth round of the Aquinta fight. Khabib kind of tired. It was also a short notice fight. I shouldn't say short notice, but a last minute opponent change for him. He had not prepared for Ali Aquinta, but that's probably the least dominant we've ever seen him was in that later rounds of the ally Aquinta fight. Of course, Habib is undefeated in the UFC. Uh, and that is why he is such a strong favorite in this fight. Uh, minus 300 in most books. He's facing uh, Justin Gaethje, one of the most exciting fighters in UFC history, coming off a dominant performance, TKO victory in the fifth round over Tony Ferguson this past spring. Worth noting, Tony Ferguson never went down because Tony Ferguson is a zombie, uh, but he TKO'd Donald Cerrone uh, before that, KO'd Edson Barbosa before that, KO'd James Vick before that, back-to-back losses to Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez, that was in the... Gaethje's too wild for his own good era, and of course debuted in the UFC, beating Michael Johnson. So, all being said, uh, Justin Gaethje is five and two in the UFC, and now challenging for a title. I also want to make mention: uh, Justin Gaethje was a tremendous wrestler himself. He never gets taken down in MMA. In fact, he went went against Jordan Burroughs in college and did not get taken down in one of their matches. Now, I know that's college wrestling and this is MMA and it's a completely different animal but you are dealing with someone with a pedigree of not ever getting taken down going against maybe the best takedown artist along with GSP in MMA history all being said it adds up to Gaethje being a plus 250 dog who you taking so I've, I've been back and forth a lot on this one first of all I will just say if you're gambling on this one and you're considering betting Habib 
I think you're foolish. At, at negative 300, I think that line is way too spaced out. I think it, as far as a gambling man's perspective goes here, it's Gaethje or nothing at plus 250. The other thing I will say is I, I'm actually leaning Gaethje on this one. And, and the reason why is I think that when you, you're talking about Habib, Habib's path to victory is pretty straightforward, right? Habib has to take Gaethje down and he has to maul him. There's no way Habib is going to outstrike him on the feet. There's no way Habib is going to, I don't know, you know, press him up against the cage nonstop for 25 minutes. You know, Gaethje has better positioning than that. Habib's only path to victory, in my opinion, involves him taking him down. I mean, maybe a late submission, but even then, Gaethje's got great sub defense too. So we're talking about like one kind of narrow path to victory that goes through taking a D1 wrestler down repeatedly. Because the other thing about Habib too is everybody talks about Habib, you know, having this really great takedown game, having the ability to hold people down. He lets people up a fucking lot, like a real lot, you know, like, and that's part of his game, right? Like his ground and pound is so dominant because he gives you that wiggle room so that you, you stop blocking your head and he hits you. But like he took Al Hayekinta down six times in a, in a five round fight, you take somebody down six times. That means that guy's getting up a bunch. Also, Al Hayekinta stuffed him nine times. And to be honest with you, I don't think Ally Quinta is the same kind of wrestler as Justin Gaethje is. And, and obviously, you know, we haven't seen Gaethje all the time. But, like, you know, you can point to Dustin Poirier, too, a guy we don't see as much of a wrestler. He got up three times on seven of Habib's takedowns, right? He ends a couple of rounds on the bottom. He obviously gets subbed in one of those rounds. But on seven takedowns that over a three-round period... That means we're winding up backstanding quite a few times. And, and granted, he does some like mat return stuff that gives him extra takedowns. But I don't know. That to me is a little bit of an alarm here because every time this goes to the feet, there's a chance that Justin starts jacking him up, right? Because it's not like Gaethje is less powerful in the fourth round. It's not like Gaethje is less powerful in the fifth round, right? Like Habib will have to be there every single round. And, and I mean, just for me, that alone, you know, and, and the fact that like, do you want to guess what Habib's takedown accuracy is in the UFC? 65%. How about 47%? He fails on over half of his takedowns, and that's against the guys he's fought. And, and, you know, again, nothing against the guy he's fought, but, like, that includes Dustin Poirier, who's not much of a wrestler. That includes Edson Barboza, who's an atrocious wrestler. You know, like, that's against Daryl Horcher. You know, like, that's against Pat Healy. That's against Abel Trujillo. You know, like, and he's still coming out with a 47% accuracy rating. It's not great. You know, like, and I'm, I'm not here to disparage his grappling because I think it's good, but I think that goes to show you he's going to fail a little bit here, and I think that's where the adversity lies. Ultimately, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Habib is successful there, but again, you know, where those odds sit, I'm picking Gaethje every time. Yeah, so I actually agree with you completely. I think uh, Justin doesn't need to stop every takedown. He needs to stop enough takedowns to keep the fight standing for the majority of the fight. And if he does, as we get into the later rounds, he has a cardio gas tank that will not stop. This is much the same thing. I find it funny in the MMA media landscape how many people talk themselves into circles about why Tony Ferguson would be the one to stop uh, Khabib. And a lot of it was based off of what you said earlier, which is people thought maybe he could pull off a sub from the back, but at the very least that he was so durable and he wouldn't mind getting the shit beaten out of him for four rounds. And then he could take it into deep waters in the fifth round and maybe pull off a miracle. But 
trying to pull off a sub off your back is a very low percentage way to win, especially in MMA, because if you don't pull it off, the judges are just going to look at you like, why were you on your back the whole time? Now, I want to take that same philosophy, though, that in the fourth and fifth round, when Khabib is tired, which we have seen, Justin Gaethje will not be tired. He's going to be coming forward with the same pressure, the same leg kicks, that same overhand right that has clipped a lot of people. And if he could get it in the later rounds, he's not looking for a miracle sub off his back. He might actually clip Khabib, knock him down, and or win on the judges' scorecard by taking three out of five rounds by just outpointing Khabib. That, to me, is a very clear – that is a very possible path to victory for him. So I think uh, Gaethje actually has more of a path to victory than Tony Ferguson did. The path to victory for Tony Ferguson was get taken down, get beat up, and try to pull off a sub. Seriously, that's what everyone says. Or, or, counter, or counter a takedown with, like, a Dars or something like that. But again, that same idea that he's, like, on his way to being taken down when he snatches a sub. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And whereas with Gaethje, all we're talking about here, this is MMA, and every round is going to start standing back up, and judges always are going to favor the fighter who's landing more strikes and, quote-unquote, causing more damage. Some, some judges don't even really know how to weigh takedowns. And that's all we're talking about here. A guy who stuffed enough Jordan Burroughs takedowns can do the same thing against Khabib, get to the later rounds, and then is going to have a clear striking advantage. So what I'm looking for in this fight, if I'm talking myself into a Justin Gaethje win, which I've already done in my head, it's get to the fourth or fifth round, have your cardio gas tank ready to go as Khabib's tiring and can't, and can't pull off the takedown. See the ally Akinta fight as a blueprint for what Gaethje would be able to do. And Gaethje's a way better striker than ally Akinta. No offense to him. So you and I are on the same page with that. Do you have anything else you want to say? Or do we move on, look like geniuses next week because we both predicted this, or potentially look like idiots? I mean, there is a high potential that we will look like idiots. And the thing is, is that I, I think that, you know, in so many of Habib's fights where he has looked crazy dominant, I think the margin of error there is smaller than we realize. Because, yeah, like the moments where he hits those finishes are big, right? Like the moment where he finished... You know, Dustin Poirier looked big. But I would say, you know, even giving the caveat that we could look wrong here, I, I think that the, the margins of this fight are much closer than a plus 250 underdog would seem. Don't look now, but Jared Cannonier is on a three-fight winning streak. TKO, David Branch, Anderson Silva, Jack Hermanson. Really nice winning streak. So what does the UFC do? Hey, congrats, Jared Cannonier. We're giving you the ex-champ, Robert Whitaker. He's coming off a unanimous decision win over Darren Till. Of course, lost his title to Israel Adesanya via KO before that. Uh, so one and one in his last two is the former champ, Robert Whitaker. He, though, is sitting at a plus 100. Cannonier, the favorite, at minus 120. Uh, and on the three-fight win streak, who you take him? Uh, I mean, like, I think I'm going to go underdog here again. I think I'm going to go with with Robert Whitaker. I, I just, you know, like, I, I see the appeal of Jared Cannonier. I think a lot of people want to bet on him and want to see him win based on the fact that, like, he's fresh, right? Like, that division needs a fresh face at the top. Everybody thought we were going to get, you know, Darren Till at the top, and then he kind of faltered, and he didn't give us that, that challenger that we wanted. You know, now we're kind of getting that with we got that with Jack Hermanson who got knocked off by by Jared Cannonier, and now we're kind of getting that with Cannonier. I think somebody just wants to see a fresh face at the top, 
And I don't think this is it, to be honest with you. You know, like Robert Whitaker, everybody's writing him off, but the guy is a guy who went in there, absolutely blasted Jacare, absolutely, you know, like went into war with Yoel Romero twice. You know, obviously got knocked out by Israel Adesanya, but then went in and beat Darren Till too. Like we're talking about his run of four out of the last five being absolutely incredible. And one of them against a guy who we probably should be talking about is probably one of the pound for pound greats right now in Israel Adesanya. And meanwhile, yeah, like you mentioned, Cannoneer, pretty good win streak there. Is Anderson Silva all that impressive of a win anymore? Maybe not. Did Jack Hermanson go in with one of the worst game plans where he wasn't going to box at all, no matter what the cost? He was just going to go in there and wrestle? Absolutely. So, I mean, like, I like Jared Cannoneer. I think he, he's he got a great style. He's fun. I just don't think he's he's Robert Whitaker level yet. And I just see Robert Whitaker putting it on him, having lots of volume, in stuffing the couple of takedowns that come his way, and as a result, I think went in a pretty easy decision, to be honest. Yeah, I don't hate the the decision. I think a lot of times what happens with MMA is you see a guy like a Jared Cannonier who pulls off three TKO, KO victories in a row, and you just start thinking that every fight is going to end that way, and he certainly has the power to end fights that way. But Whitaker's a very smart fighter, and while they're going to trade heavy hands, as they say, I don't hate this going to decision. I probably lean towards Cannoneer still winning by decision, uh, but it could go either way to me. This is a very close fight to call. So I, I say go with the over and and pick who you like better. We'll move on. Alexander Volkov is coming off a loss to Curtis Blades. He's going to be facing Walt Harris, who's coming off a loss to Alistair Overeem. So two fighters coming off a loss. One of them is going to get to breathe a sigh of relief because someone has to win, you would figure. Um, Volkov, the minus 170 favorite. Walt Harris, the plus 150 dog. Who you taking? Well, you say somebody's got to pull off a victory. You're forgetting that, you know, Walt Harris has been in several no contests or DQ losses as well. <laughs> so maybe not. But uh, to be honest, I'm, I think I'm going to go underdog all, all across the top here. I think I'm also going to go Walt Harris on this one. And, and the reason is, is because I've been impressed with the way he was winning. You know, he basically was beating Overeem. He almost had Overeem completely knocked out. And then Overeem just barely survives enough to go into the second round. Overeem comes out like a bat out of hell and cleans his clock in the second round. Like, yeah, we got to be upset that he couldn't put him away after hurting him. We got to be upset that Overeem finished him afterwards. But, like, at the same time, he's in that fight, right? He was part of that fight, and it looked like he was going to finish that fight. If you go back and look at Volkov's record, it, who he's beat in the UFC, it is really not an impressive list at all. Like, the one name that sticks out on the list as being somewhat impressive is Fabrizio Verdum. And, like, kind of past his prime Fabrizio Verdum, right? He's beaten Tim Johnson, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve, and Greg Hardy, apart from that. Like, that is not a murderer's row of opponents. Whereas we see Walt Harris beating guys like Alexio Linick, who who's an absolute killer. And the other thing, too, that worries me a little bit about Volkov is is Walt Harris can wrestle a little bit. He, he's willing to put it on the ground. He's got a decent takedown game and some pretty good ground and pound if it ever goes there. And we're looking at Volkov, a guy who conceded takedowns to Fabrizio Verdum, who is, you know, not a takedown artist. He also conceded takedowns to Roy Nelson, who almost never shoots him. So, like, I like the raw physical ability here of Walt Harris. I think that that's a fun aspect of this. And while Volkov is obviously the much taller fighter and could just fight behind, you know, his jab a little bit and win this, I just don't see him doing it. And I think I like Walt Harris here as an underdog, too. Well, 
Uh, we're going to keep going with the underdog uh, then because we're going to pick our underdog of the week right now. And it's Shavkat Rachmaninoff, uh, plus 130, taking on Cowboy Oliveira. Why do we like him? So, again, yeah, I'm picking three underdogs right in a row. I'm going to come out sounding like a crazy person. But I love Shavkat Rachmaninoff because he's a guy coming from N1. You know, the UFC obviously has the deal with M1 where they can just steal M1's champions at any time. This is a guy who pretty much as soon as they broke that deal, the UFC was like, okay, now that we have this deal where we can take your champions, we're taking Shavkat Rachmaninoff immediately. It's because he's one of the top guys out there. He's been fighting really high-level competition since he was like 20 years old. You know, he's, he turned pro, I think, at 18 or 19, and he was like 5 or 6-0 and 0 by the time he was 21. He's got great quickness in his hands, really good power. And in addition to that, the other aspect I like about this is he's got a really great takedown game. And while, you know, I sound like, again, a crazy person picking another underdog and doing it against the guy who's headlined UFC cards before in Cowboy Oliveira, we're also talking about Shavkat Rachmanov as an underdog here, having been, I mean, he's undefeated. I want to say it's 13-0. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But... That being said, he also is constantly being bet down. So while you're hearing this, he's a plus 130 dog, but he was like a plus 150 dog earlier in the week. So like if you're hearing this right now, head to your bookie right now and get that money in on Shafkat Rachmanov before it changes. Well, speaking of money, it's time for our parlay to play. And this week it's going to be Robert Whitaker at plus 100 and Miranda Maverick at minus 320. Put them together, but get yourself plus 165 odds. Yeah, so I like Robert Whitaker for all the reasons I said before. I think it winds up being a very easy decision. His number has changed a little bit, too. He was a little bit higher in the pluses. Heck, by the time you get this, you might be hearing him uh, at even or like negative 105. So I like him in this one for all the reasons, like I said before. And Miranda Maverick here is a slam dunk to me. This is a absolutely top-level prospect. This is a blue-chip prospect if there ever was one in the women's flyweight division. She's coming over from Invicta, having beaten like 100 women in a row. She just beat Pearl Gonzalez, who you might remember from UFC fame. She beat Deanna Bennett, who was in the UFC. And she's only 22 years old. She fights like Tatiana Suarez does down at 115. And I think for that reason, you're going to see her shoot up the ranks in the UFC. She's fighting a woman who's pretty much her path to victory in Luiana Jojua is get a submission off your back. And when you're fighting somebody like Tatiana Suarez, who's got great positioning, great control, and phenomenal wrestling, I just don't see that as a path to victory for Jojua. So I love Maverick here at negative 320. Put them together and get some plus 165 money. I think it's a good play. Phenomenal. What a card. What a weekend. What a main event. We hope you guys enjoy it. And we hope you enjoyed our uh, edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Gumby, why don't you wrap this bad boy up and let's get out of here. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our two sponsors, Maroon Social and the ProPace app, as well as Flow Combat for giving us a home to call our own. Remember, you can check us out on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA, and you can check us out on Instagram with that same exact handle at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll see you then.